The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. The truth is that we are in a climate emergency. We have less than 10 years to make substantial changes to our society and way of life and our economy. I want to stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. Those who have never fought for the colours they fly should be careful about criticising those who have. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Thanks for joining me. Well, the government is defending its decision not to bring back COVID restrictions for now. While infections, hospitalisations and deaths are on the up, the Health Secretary Sajid Javid isn't bringing in so-called Plan B just yet, instead shifting the onus to the public to get vaccinated. Am I saying that if we don't do our bit, get vaccinated, you know, all those behavioural changes that we can make, that we are more likely to face restrictions as we head into winter, then I am saying that. I think we've been really clear that we've all got a role to play. Okay, so get jabbed, the message from Javid. But he did also warn that daily cases could rise to 100,000 per day if people don't behave responsibly. Now the British Medical Association is accusing the government of being willfully negligent for not bringing back rules on mandatory face masks and working from home. The chair of the BMA, Dr Chand Nagpool, doesn't agree with the government's strategy. Asking the public to do the right thing, it clearly has not worked. Uh, And neither do we need to close down society either, but open it in a responsible way by making sure that there are some requirements in reducing spread of this infection. Well, the BMA is echoing warnings from the NHS as we head into winter flu season. So that is the shape of the row this morning. Uh, But let's focus in on Wales because that is actually the region with the highest number of COVID infections right now in the UK per 100,000. According to Wales Online, 617 cases per 100,000 people versus about 311 in Scotland, England's 436 and 478 in Northern Ireland. So the First Minister, Mark Drakeford, has said that the Welsh Government is not yet looking at reintroducing COVID restrictions. The Welsh NHS Confederation, for its part, has warned that action will be needed if it gets to the point the NHS is unable to cope. Well, joining me now to discuss a bit further is Hal Williams, who is the Plaid Cymru MP for Arfon in Wales. Hal, good morning. Thank you so much for being on the programme. I mean, firstly, why are COVID cases so high in Wales right now? Well, that is a very interesting question, given that we do have more regulation uh, than uh, there is in England. For example, face masks are mandatory. So I'm I'm afraid, you know, lots of people ignore uh, the actual regulations. Um, So some people might say that we're at a different point in the progress of uh, the current wave. And, uh, you know, that's an explanation that I've heard. I don't know if that actually holds water. Um, we do have uh, an older, uh, more disabled, sicker population, and that might mean that we are more susceptible uh, 
as a, an entire population of the country. Um, the question, of course, speaking is what are we going to do about it? And I did hear uh, the health minister, one of the health ministers for England this morning, being, well, it seemed to me to be quite smug about how things are going in England, um, as the, you know, as they are in Wales, and uh, you know, just dismissing uh, the calls from serious and scientific people for for action. So I think uh, for ourselves, in pride and myself as a an MP with a with a very uh, deprived community, I think we just need to see much much more action, and I'm afraid a move towards uh, more restrictions. Okay, smug. Well, in that case, what are the benefits of regional action? Uh, I mean, as you say, there are additional rules in Wales. They don't seem to be working. Um, what would actually help the situation in Wales? Well, I think there has to be a greater awareness from uh, government in Wales as to the variability of how things are working out. I think in my own area, I, I talked to these chief executive of my own local health board earlier this week. And clearly on the ground, you know, the staff are working as hard as possible. They are exhausted, I think, you know, and uh, you know, this has been going on for so long. But it seems to me that the staff on the ground are working hard enough. But, um, you know, the, for example, the enforcement of rules, I think, isn't, isn't sufficient. Uh, commonly, you see in Wales, people walking out of shops and out of uh, closed venues without masks. And uh, that's particularly the case in tourist areas, of course, because people don't realise that the rules in Wales are different from those in England. OK, so masks is one thing you'd like to see. Mm-hmm. How is the third booster jab rollout going then in your constituency? Well, I'm not particularly aware of it's actually going on. I know that it is. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm over 60. I haven't had a... Uh, and I must say, a recall to come and have my own booster, and probably on a point to six months and one week limit on this. Um, but uh, I think you know, as far as the jabs initially, the one and the first and the second are concerned, that has been extremely successful, as it has been elsewhere. Um, I don't think there's a lot of public awareness of, of the booster at the moment, and clearly with winter upon us and flu and other nasties, Lurking ahead of us, I think you know that needs to be that needs to be pushed a lot harder. Okay, so not enough awareness then of the booster rollout uh, being a key problem. Um, Hal, I want to talk about um, something else, though, not just COVID, even though that is obviously what so many people are worried about. And there's a bigger question, uh, perhaps a bigger debate even coming in Wales because of this new commission examining Wales's future relationship with the rest of the UK that's being set up Welsh uh, by Welsh Labour ministers. The Conservatives have accused those ministers of wasting time and resources. Sources. I mean, independence in, in Wales is still a minority view. Why have the Commission? Clearly, the constitutional situation in Wales is unstable. We have too small uh, a Senate and Assembly which can't provide enough people to even run the committees. Half the members are uh, in the government. They haven't enough backbenchers. There's a stone. So we need to look at that. We need to look at the way that people are elected because uh, that is clearly unsatisfactory as well with a small number, as we have at the moment 60 as compared to, I think, around 120 in Northern Ireland. But if we are going to have a proper national conversation, independence has been there as well. 
which is what I think the government are very gradually edging towards. Uh, we've been pressing them to put all options on the table, given that the situation here is unstable, I think. It's not good enough. And uh, as has always been said, you know, devolution is a process, not just an event. Things have developed over the last couple of decades so that the Senate, as it is now with the Welsh Parliament, is markedly different from the sort of super county council that we had established uh, at the turn of the century. And uh, inevitably, I think any any um, representative body with with any ambition will look towards making sure that its powers actually are proper and that they work. And that's where we are now, uh, standing on the sidelines and complaining that we have some sort of obsession with this is really on the part of the Tories. I think that's just an application of their responsibility to the people of Wales. Some of the so they think completely ashamed of themselves for taking such a stance. But given that independence is still such a minority view in Wales, I mean, there's some justification for, for perhaps saying that, that's, that that shouldn't be the driving force of the Commission. Well, this Commission is about representative democracy in Wales and how it works. Independence is one strand of that. What you can't do, I think, if you're looking at how the country works, is to say we can't have independence as an issue. That has to be in there. But if you look at the terms of reference for the Commission, it says quite clearly that one stand is looking at uh, Wales's position as part of uh, the four nations of the UK. Another stand is looking at independence. It's, as I think the First Minister said, this would be absurd not to look at all potential options. Um. On the other main issues then, away from uh, the big picture for for Wales, uh, when it comes to HGV drivers, you said that you do want to see more immigration. And on this point, Wales voted for Brexit, as did the UK as a whole. It's not particularly what people voted for, is it, to have, you know, unfettered immigration? Well, I think we're not unfettered immigration, but five years down the line, I think that many people are now regretting at the leisure as the effects of Brexit actually start working their way through, along with the effects of COVID and other matters as well. But on the HDB uh, drivers issue, the government knew full well that there was going to be a huge shortage, and they've sat on their hands. Again, I think they're quite ready to, to withdraw as government, not to intervene, to let people get on with it. And as I think several government ministers have said, to allow the market to work its way through, well, that's good enough for a minister sitting in Whitehall, but it's no good for people in supermarkets seeing empty shelves. In March this year, the ONS, which is the government's body, of course, responsible for statistics, they said that 16,000 EU drivers had left the UK in the previous year. So there would be a shortage of 16,000, probably. The government actually knew this. They did nothing, and well, we can see the effects of that where we are today. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com. Let's talk about what else is making news in the world of politics, though, today. So the government has sealed a trade deal with New Zealand. The arrangement includes better business travel and reduced tariffs on products like clothing, buses, ships and bulldozers. Now, that is a symbolic boost for Boris Johnson, but New Zealand is only the UK's 53rd largest trading partner. And analysis from last year shows that the deal will have no long-term impact on the size of Britain's economy. Meanwhile, the Chancellor Rishi Sunak got a pre-budget boost. Government borrowing was significantly lower than forecast in the first half of the fiscal year, with the budget deficit totalling just over £108 billion. But bringing down the deficit may prove a lot harder in future years. A key threat is the cost of government debt, which is running 50% higher than a year earlier due to inflation. And lastly, the proportion of people who believe that British society is unequal is at its highest level in almost a quarter of a century. That is according to the annual British Social Attitudes Survey from the National Centre for Social Research. 64% of people at the end of 2020 agree that ordinary working people do not get their fair share of the nation's wealth. But the report did not find much more support for a larger social safety net for the unemployed. Well, uh, that is not the only survey, of course, highlighting the squeeze on household finances. So the latest research from Kantar Public highlights that 43% of Britons have reported that their household income has fallen behind the cost of living with rising food and fuel prices. Plus, a growing number are worried about not being able to afford to keep their homes warm over this winter. Joining us now is Craig Watkins, who is CEO of Kantar Public. UK. Craig, thanks so much for being back on Bloomberg Westminster to um, tell us about kind of what you've discovered, the latest thinking um, in terms of public opinion. Peak economic optimism seems to have happened. It's waned. Household bills are now piling up, aren't they, Craig? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, Caroline. Um, And we, we still see a very kind of strong view of, of um, people thinking that the economy is going to be doing worse in 12 months' time um, than, than um, you know, before. Um, and as you've mentioned, you know, four in ten people reporting that they're seeing their household income fall, um, but also that um, they're finding it harder to meet their monthly budget. And this is an increase of uh, nearly 10 percentage points since last month. So within a month, we've had a significant shift in people experiencing, not just thinking about what the economy is going to be like, but experiencing it harder to meet their bills. Gosh, that is a big change in just four weeks. Food and fuel must be top of that list. I mentioned home heating. I mean, the petrol crisis uh, in the southeast was severe, um, but inflation in terms of, of what people are buying to eat, they're, they're feeling that really. Yeah, and people are, um, there's a couple of things that have come through the research. So um, seven in 10 um, people saying that they they are concerned about that the price of fresh food will increase over the next few months. Um, we see similar um, figures around the price of petrol and diesel, but also we're then not just seeing that concern about um, the price, but concern about shortages at similar levels. 60% of people saying that they're concerned about potential shortages of food. 
um, and then actually people experiencing shortages. So nearly 40% of people saying that they have found it um, more difficult to find petrol and diesel, not surprising, but three in 10 reporting that they're finding it more difficult to find fresh food than they did three months ago. Yeah, gosh, that is surprising. People are really, yeah, those those empty shelves, the pictures, people are, are seeing that for themselves. Also, um, though, it was a big change because the furlough scheme came to an end at the end of September and there were nearly a million people who were still being supported by that government programme. So perhaps in that context, you know, is that also what's playing in? People are worried about their job. Certainly, um, we, we, we could see that kind of coming through in terms of people concern. I think what we've also kind of picked up from, from our questions is that um, people have a more negative view of how the government has supported people. So on, on the one hand, we're seeing nearly 50% of people saying that government support for people who have lost income has um, been been. Uh, you know, uh, poor or, or, or very poor, that's higher than the people that think that it has been good. But also a higher percentage of 56%, um, which has gone up by eight percentage points again since last month, saying that the support the government is giving to companies that face closure and revenue losses as poor, you know, which could be related to what we're seeing with the energy sector. It could be related to, to um, stories about uh, businesses with supply chain issues that are having to close, um, mm. but definitely a more negative view about government intervention and support for companies and for people. Yeah, of course, and universal credit and the uplift coming to an end. Um, COVID, though, I, I was talking to uh, an MP just a moment ago about this. This is also, it's kind of come roaring back, hasn't it? We, It felt like uh, a, a good summer in some ways, Freedom Day and so on. Now people are quite evenly split, aren't they, about how they feel the government has handled COVID. I was surprised, evenly split between people who think it's been well handled versus badly handled. So the pandemic's mm. back. Yeah, yeah, I think you, and it's it's interesting that you know we we see this picture shifting. Obviously, as the as the pandemic progresses and and we're kind of moving through different phases, um, a definite increase. Um, we're now at just over half of people saying that the government's handling of the pandemic is 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 poor, um, and a decreasing number thinking that that, that it, it's been handled well, um, and they still strong support for mandatory vaccination and strong concern, 70%, you know, seven out of every 10 people concerned about further waves of infection. And this was, these questions were asked before um, the kind of the various news stories we've had and reports this week of increasing numbers of infections. And so that that was even before that reporting that we're mm. seeing this really strong view, concern about, you know, a further waves of infection through the winter. OK, so people well aware, perhaps, of the autumn and winter and how difficult it's going to be. Um mm. I also just want to touch briefly on climate change. I mean, COP26 is coming up. Prime Minister's been speaking about climate change. There are now sort of more estimates about how much it's going to cost for the British economy. Do you think consumers are now starting to to twig what climate change is going to mean for them a bit more? 
I think so. We 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 still see um, kind of strong support, and in fact, it's an increased support. So, which would suggest that there are, you know, people are becoming more aware of of, of the potential impacts and potential, um, I suppose, adjustments that we would need to make. Um, so, we're we're forty four percent of people thinking that at the end of the uh, of the pandemic, you know, priorities to uh, actions to take. Uh, against climate change to address it should be a, a priority. And we don't see any difference in, in kind of gender demographics on this. Um, and actually, this is more important for older generations than it currently is being reported through our questioning and mm. our surveys as a younger generation. So, so if you're in the kind of the bracket of 55 and above, you know, 50%, over 50% saying you know, this has to be a priority going forward, um, which I think is just an interesting twist on perhaps what we might have assumed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the climate campaigning has been focused around younger people doing it. So, yeah, quite fascinating that actually it's older people who want um, this major challenge sort of addressed. Um, what does all of this mean for your polling um, around the political parties, uh, around the Conservatives and, and Boris Johnson? The, the, the conference season is over. Now we're going into what could be quite a difficult winter. Yeah, I think we it's it's we've seen over the past couple of months that these figures have started to shift. You know, we, we, it was fairly static previously, um, and with Afghanistan, we saw the the Conservative Party take a take a hit at the same time that Af- Af- the Afghanistan withdrawal was taking place. Now we're post conference season. We have seen um, the kind of Conservative support dip down to thirty nine percent. That's a four percent. Uh, percentage point shift and labor uptick by a four percentage point shift to 34 percent so it's not dramatic but figures are moving and the gap is lessening at the moment between the kind of the the, the top political parties yeah interesting that yeah it's four percent down sorry four percentage points down for Conservatives and 4% up for Labour. And even the Greens are actually picking up a couple of points on yeah. on your polling. Yes, yeah, so the, the Greens up two percentage points at 8%. Um, you know, we might, we might draw a conclusion that the debate about climate change um, that, that, that's happening. Um, so, yeah, some interesting kind of shifts and, you know, undoubtedly we'll see, we'll see movements as, as um, the kind of events crystallise over the coming months because there's a lot that people are worried about. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.